We would have liked this to have gone on for a couple more weeks, but unfortunately, this is our final edition of Monday Morning Quarterbacks for the season. I'm Jeff Wagner, joined by the voice of the Green Bay Packers, Wayne Larravee. Wayne, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Well, I guess is I take some consolation maybe from the fact that yesterday was not a fluke. You certainly get the impression that the better team won yesterday. Yeah, it's not like two years ago uh, in that Seattle game that we'll all be uh, talking about for years from now and in that the Packers were the better team that day and lost the game. Yesterday, Atlanta was uh, a buzzsaw, as Mike McCarthy said, and, and they came in playing their best, and uh, they seemed to be a step quicker right from the get-go. You know, Wayne, one of the things that struck me early on, even in the first series, uh, the Packers' defense, there, there were two occasions, right before, even before, I know they scored on a third down play, but during that first drive, there were two occasions where I think once they had third and 10 or third and nine, another time they had third and 12, and I kept thinking, you know, if they could come up with the stop, get off the field, make them punt, you know, maybe the, the game would have turned around, but they couldn't stop them. They couldn't stop them at all. Yeah, uh, on third down, Atlanta was awfully good yesterday. I mean, for the game, it, Atlanta was uh, 10 of 13 on third down, 77%. And on that opening drive, you're exactly right, Jeff. Um, they had third and six at the Atlanta 36-yard line and converted. Uh, they had uh, third and 11 at the Green Bay 49 and converted. And then, as you mentioned, on the uh, uh, third and two at the goal line, uh, they hit on that little shovel pass to Mohamed Sanu. So, you know, it's um, that's the situation where the thing that alarmed me on that first drive was how wide open um, some of these Atlanta receivers were uh, in the coverage. And, and I understand uh, the way they have to play defense with the Packers, with their secondary where it was, but um, that was a little alarming. Our numbers are 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Questions or comments for the voice of the Green Bay Packers, Wayne Larravee. Um, he's here to take your call. Wayne, to, to that point, moving forward, um, Obviously, Aaron Rodgers still at the top of his game, but he's going to be 34 years old next year. The defense has, well, I mean, it, let's face it, it was it was a dumpster fire yesterday, and it's had its problems all year. I mean, can, can this team come back next year without making major changes on the defensive side? I think they'll make some changes on the defensive side, Jeff. Um, what they have to do is they need to get more speed at cornerback. Um, you know, uh, to be honest with you, I love Ladarius Gunter as a player. Uh, I love his toughness, his mental toughness. Uh, but he doesn't have the foot speed to be your number one cornerback. And so they need – that's that's an area of concern right there. Now, Demarius Randall, can he be that guy? He does not have what, what the scouts would call elite cornerback speed, like mm-hmm. Sam Shields had. Uh, but Randall's a guy who can, when he's right, make plays. And he had an up-and-down season, to say the least, and so did Quentin Rollins. They're two draft choices from the year before. And part of the reason is because they were nicked up with injuries uh, off and on all season. So they regressed a little bit in terms of performance. The injuries had something to do with it. But I think also, you know, you need, to, you need a little more stability. You need better speed at the cornerback position. And that's, uh, you know, that's what they'll be looking for, I think, in this offseason. I would assume that... You, at the at very best-case scenario, you, you can't count on Sham, Sam Shields returning, and probably chances are better than even that he probably ha- he won't play again for the Packers. I mean, he's been out all year with a concussion. Oh, I think you're right. I mean, it's like his fifth concussion of the pros, and I think he had two in college. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's a decision he'll have to make. But, um, you know, and then once he decides if he wants to come back and play, and I think he does, then a team would have to make a decision of, okay, do we want to put this guy on the field knowing the history? Um, but here's the thing, Jeff, and this – Sam Shields' injury um, was every bit as debilitating to the defense this year as Jordy Nelson's injury was to the offense the year before. Um, they could never recover from it, and uh, it forced them to do some things differently. And people are complaining about Dom Capers, but you know what? Dom did all he could with this defense. He had to play a certain way. Uh, in a 3-4 defense, a Dom Capers defense, those fire zone blitzes and that type of thing, they require man-to-man coverage on the outside. And the Packers couldn't do that. By midseason, they had to keep their safeties deep to help out on the corners and weren't allowed. They couldn't do the things that Dom wanted to do. Wayne, as you might expect, we have a number of Packers fans who'd like to speak with you. We're going to take a very quick break, then we'll be back with all the calls. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620 is the number. 
844, Jeff Wagner, Wayne Larrabee, 620 WTMJ, our final Monday morning quarterback show until next fall. Let's talk to Mike in Greenfield. Mike, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Um, four points I want to make. One is the secondary. I think they need more depth and more talent at the secondary, which you guys were discussing before. I thought the officiating, I'm not going to name all the plays. I saw at least half a dozen. And uh, it was sloppy last night. And I'm not taking anything away from Atlanta, but there were some calls that were just ludicrous. Um, the other two things that would sum up the game overall would be missed opportunities and a lot, a lot of turnovers, a lot of mistakes. Hmm. You cannot do, you can't afford to make one, let alone maybe three or four yeah. in a game like that. So, yeah. yeah, the better team unfortunately won, but I think what it did was it, it, it showed us what we need to do. And we overcame a lot of uh, adversities, you know, including while losing, you know, B.J. Raji in the middle. Well, I mean, that's yeah, that secondary. Yeah, Mike, thanks. I mean, Wayne, there's no question. I mean, it. The Packers had a great run. I mean, eight games in a row. I mean, they were four and six. So as disappointed as we all are, this has been a great run this season. Oh, it was. Yeah, it's remarkable. I've never seen a team, and I've been in the league 38 years, one of the teams I've broadcast for come through a period where uh, they lost five out of six, including four in a row, and made a run to the NFC or to the uh, conference championship game. Pittsburgh also lost four in a row earlier this year, but they didn't go through the elongated stretch the Packers went through in in the course of six games, losing five. So this has been remarkable that they were able to get that thing turned around. And by the way, the injuries didn't abate. Um, The the Packers got better uh, despite those injuries. And, you know, when I look at it, and I think the caller brought up a good point, when when it ends, especially after a long playoff run, and this was a three-game playoff run, when it ends – it, the ending is jarring, and it some, somewhat crystallizes exactly what you have to do. You look over there at that Atlanta squad and say, okay, um, we got, we've got some things to shore right. up here, and, and you could pretty much um, pick out what they have to shore up based on what you saw during that game. The, um, the first Atlanta drive of the second half, I think, kind of summarized it all. I think even, even though it was 24 to nothing and your, your head is telling you, okay, the game is over, your heart is saying, okay, maybe there's some comeback, and then just watching Julio Jones running wide open and stiff-arming Packers players and going the length of the field, and I think like three plays, it's kind of like, oh, there's a difference between these two teams. Yeah, oh, no question about it. And, and no question with that receiver and with the coverage people the Packers had. Um, I, again, I, I give Ladarius Gunter a tremendous amount of credit. He is a second-year player. He um, uh, was a rookie free agent a year ago. Uh, he has the dimensions you look for physically. He does not have the foot speed to hang with somebody like Julio Jones. And, and you know, I think Ladarius certainly could serve a, a very positive role for the Packers in their cornerback core, but not as the lead cornerback. And yet this year, uh, due to the injuries, due to the uh, inconsistent play of Demarius Randall, the Packers had to use Ladarius Gunter as their lead cornerback. He played all season and did not have an interception. In fact, he dropped one in the end zone uh, yesterday. Jeff, what was interesting to me about this game, a couple of statistics uh, jumped out at me. Uh, you know, you watch the game and you think, well, Atlanta's got to have about six, seven, eight, maybe ten plays of 20 yards or more. Um, they did not. And, you know, when you look at uh, the situation, they only had four plays of 20 yards or more. Now, the Julio Jones pass play, you're talking about 71 yards. That was a huge one. But, you know, Capers did what he could with that defense in terms of trying to take away the big play. And and they did effectively do that. But Atlanta just killed them on the intermediate routes, and, and that's where they, they really made hay and moved the football and controlled the clock. That's the other thing. Time of possession in favor of Atlanta by over seven minutes. Uh, but they had 19 passes were for 10 to 19 yards. Um, you know, and again, as I mentioned, only four plays of 20 yards or more. Now, some people might, Wayne, be a little critical of the offense, but the, I mean, the, the reality was they come down, they miss the, they miss the uh, Crosby misses the field goal. They're driving for another touchdown. Rupkowski fumbles. The defense can't stop anybody, and then it's seventeen nothing. And um, I, that's got to be a tough hole to come back from against a team as good as Atlanta. Yeah, and on the road, Jeff. That's the other thing. And you know, the formula for the Packers in their winning streak was pretty much playing on the lead. I understand they got off to a slow start against the Giants. But they were only down six nothing. They got off to a little bit of a slow start in Dallas, but they were only down three nothing. But you get down seventeen nothing at this level, uh, and it's real hard to come back. And matter of fact, most of the time you don't. Let's talk to Fred in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Fred, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Hey, first thing I'd like to do is um, 
say uh, what a great effort by uh, uh, every player on that team, that Packer team. Um, I've been around a long time watching the Packers, and it was a great season uh, uh, with total uh, sellout effort. Oh, oh, we lost Fred there. His cell phone dropped off. Wayne, to that point, um, both Adam – Devontae Adams and Jordy Nelson were warriors yesterday. Yeah. I, I can't imagine. I was watching the plays that they were both making, and uh, particularly Nelson with broken ribs. I, it's amazing to me that he was playing as well as he did, given oh, his injuries. I can't agree with you more, Jeff. And, and, you know, you take a look at it, and the first big pass play the Packers had was a 27-yard pass play and the second snap from scrimmage for Green Bay to, uh, you know, you look at these things and, and it's Jordy Nelson out there and you're sitting there saying, wow, I, I never saw him cut loose in practice like that and because, you know, he couldn't with the rib injury, but he gutted it out. What a warrior. Uh, same with Devontae Adams. Morgan Burnett was playing through an injury. Um, Geronimo Allison. You know, I, I didn't know if any of those guys were going to play. And when I got to the stadium, Larry McCarron said, I think they're all going to play. And, and I surmised that I guess if you have had a pulse, and you were a Green Bay right. Packer. You were going to play in that game if you were eligible. Uh, let's talk to Joe in Green Lake. Joe, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. On the positive, I think Jordy Nelson and the receiving core, you know, really did well. I think 12 had a great season, but defensively, it's either the scheme or there's a lack of talent. I don't care what you say about injuries. It's always the defense that holds this team back, and something's got to change. Thank you. And they tried to fix that. They've, they've drafted uh, first-round draft choices, I believe, in the last four drafts, if I'm not mistaken, you know, uh, with defensive players. Um, they're, they're trying to fix that, and uh, it'll be interesting to see where they go now. They need help on the corner. They need speed on the corner. Uh, probably need speed in the linebacking core at outside linebacker. Um, to, you know, Clay Matthews, I think if he returns to health, he's still an effective pass rusher, but um, you probably need a little more speed opposite him. Um, uh, I, you know, Nick Perry, I thought, had a very solid year. Um, he's a free agent. We'll see what happens there, but he had led the team with 11 sacks. So um, you, this is a team that, that needs a little bit more speed on the defensive side, especially in the secondary. Well, and that, for, for people who... I think sometimes think maybe Ted Thompson is reluctant to pull the trigger. And going back to one of the things you said in the beginning, you, you look at that film and, and you could, it's very, very clear where the Packers' deficiencies are. And so at least now whether they can put together the roadmap to solve those is, of course, the issue. But, I mean, it's that you, I don't think anybody can look at that game yesterday and say, well, we were the better team. Clearly there are some problems that need to be addressed. Right. And people will say, well, go out and get a free agent cornerback. Well, you know what? If the cornerback is really that good, chances are he's not going to be a free agent, okay? Teams take care of those guys because that, that's a skilled position uh, at cornerback. So it's not as easily fixable as you think. You know, if, let's just go out and get the best cornerback on free agency. Well, the best cornerback in free agency may not be a whole lot better than what you've got, and you're going to be paying, overpaying for that player because it is free agency and it is a skilled position. Wayne, let's take one more break. We'll be back to wrap up and look ahead. You're listening to the Monday Morning Quarterbacks with Wayne Larrabee, 620 WTMJ. It's 8.53. 8.56, Jeff Wagner, Wayne Larrabee, the Monday Morning Quarterbacks. Wayne, um, obviously this was Aaron Rodgers' team, but as you look back on the season, one or two players that you think had kind of breakout years, maybe people that uh, kind of surprised you based on what you thought they would do going into the season versus what they did during the season? Well, I was uh Happy to see Devontae Adams really come to the fore as a player this year. And I thought he had a, a wonderful season, and I know he had some injury issues at times, but I thought he became a big-time NFL receiver. And Aaron Rodgers really helped in that. He continued to go to Devontae. Early in the season, Devontae was struggling a little bit, but Aaron got him on track and, and restored the confidence by hitting him with quick, short passes that got his confidence up. And then I think Devontae's become a bona fide receiver. It, it was really, uh, that's a big key there. Uh, Jared Cook, a tight end, didn't quite know what to expect, knew that this guy had some athletic ability and would give the Packers something they hadn't had since Jermichael Finley. But Jared Cook, to me, is a very smart player on the football field. And, and I think that's what separates him from the others, along with his athletic, uh, given, God-given athletic ability. Um, defensively, 
when you take a look at this, uh, the defense in general, um, you know, I would have to say, uh, once again, Micah Hyde, we knew about him, but uh, this is a guy who continues to, to make plays in clutch situations. And the other guy that really uh, I was happy to see come to the fore was Jake Ryan at inside linebacker and Joe Thomas at inside linebacker. Joe is just a nickel guy uh, a year ago. He's, you know, blossomed a little bit more and, and come out and played pretty well, I thought, as, as he had a start started inside linebacker, and Jake Ryan in his second year really had some big ball games, none bigger than the uh, game he played against the Giants in the wild card round of the playoffs. It probably wouldn't have made any difference, but wouldn't it have been nice if he would have been able to recover that fumble? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. You know, just some of those things when they started happening. I mean, when they when Mason missed that field goal, you just yeah. had that sinking feeling like, oh my gosh, well, maybe this isn't our day type of thing. And Certainly, the fumble confirmed that uh, Ripkowski fumble, and uh, and then uh, the Atlanta was off and running. And Jeff, it just seemed like to me going into the game, it looked Atlanta had that glow. It looks like their year, you know, and it certainly was as far as the NFC goes. And now they go up against a tough New England squad and the uh, you know a Patriots team and organization that's been there many times. So you going to make a prediction for the Super Bowl? I think you know I, I, not right now because I haven't had a chance to really look at it hard. But I think Atlanta is going to be hard to handle for New England because New England has not faced a team with the offensive depth that Atlanta has. There's no team like that in the AFC, including Pittsburgh, which lost its running back Le'Veon Bell early in the ball game yesterday. But nobody has quite the um, array of weaponry that Atlanta has, and they're playing at a very high level. It'll be interesting to see how that New England defense deals with it. Wayne, it has been a pleasure. Um, we all wished it had gone on for a couple more weeks, but it was a great season, great calls. It has been a pleasure chatting with you, and I look forward to the return of Monday Morning Quarterbacks next uh, next fall with the return of the Green Bay Packers. Jeff, a pleasure to be with you and, and the listeners. I enjoy this half hour where we get to kind of talk about different things and expand on them. And uh, all the best to you and the listeners uh, through the rest of the off season. and we'll be back soon. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Yep, I was planning on going to Houston. We were going to be doing the show from Houston for the entire week up on Radio Row, and I think pretty much by the end of the first quarter yesterday, I realized that I, I could call off those different plans I, I made. Okay, you don't need to pick up the mail. I don't need to uh, ask you to watch my dog. It just it wasn't going to happen. But I, I guess if it's any consolation, I think it's very clear that the better team won yesterday, and so you, you kind of move on. Which, what's been tough some years is the Packers, on any given day, you've gotten the idea that they were the better team and they lost at the end. Yesterday was not that day. You know, I understand the mainstream media is just completely apoplectic over the Trump administration and the allegations of fake news, and, and, and they, don't, they don't like to be told that. And I understand they don't like to be told that, but then they should stop doing things. There, there is a—locally, there is a story, front page of the paper, which to an extent— you know, is an example of this fake news. Now, the Journal Sentinel has decided they want to go after the Walker administration, and they want to claim the Walker administration is, is they're, they're all climate change deniers. And so there's a story a couple weeks ago about how the DNR had removed uh, climate change information from its website, and then they followed that up with the story about the Public Service Commission. More on that in just a minute. And now today's story, front page above the fold, disaster report includes climate. State agency cites research on warming. In a shift from the practice of two other state agencies, Wisconsin emergency management officials have released new information on climate change and its implications for the state. Okay, fine. So emergency management has stuff up there. But then the, the fake news story continues. As recently as December, DNR officials removed language from a webpage devoted to the Great Lakes that had earlier acknowledged the role humans play in global warming. The PSC which regulates electric utilities, eliminated its webpage on climate change at some point before May 1st, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel recently found. The scrubbed information included a link to former Governor Jim Doyle's task force report on global warming. Uh, The Democratic governor's report in 2008 recommended that Wisconsin reduce the use of fossil fuels and rely more on renewable sources of power. All right. When this story first and I, I want to talk about the aspect of it, the fake news aspect with the PSC, when that first story first broke, I, I said, you know, I think that this is fake news. 
I don't think that there was any intention at all on the part of the Public Service Commission to scrub global warming from its website. What this sounds like to me happened is any good agency, business, whatever, updates its website from time to time. And there was an old report from the Doyle administration that had been on the website for five, six, seven years, whatever. And I said, my guess was, this wasn't an intentional thing, it was just, we're going to clean up our website, and we're going to go find stuff that people haven't read that has been up there forever and ever, and we're going to get rid of it to make way for new things. And there's no ulterior motive at all. And I said that on the radio, and subsequently, um, I I have confirmed that with sources that I have, that, yeah, this was, and, and the Journal Sentinel either knew it and chose not to report it, or just didn't even want to buy into that because it didn't fit with the story. The story was the Public Service Commission scrubbing climate change information. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. But it didn't fit the narrative. It was kind of this fake news. Because again, yes, there was the climate change stuff removed, but a whole bunch of stuff was removed simply because it was old, and they were trying to update, and you know, uh, always you want to have new information that that is up there. That is what businesses do. That's what government agencies do. You don't leave just because a report is up on your website and it's been there for five or six or seven years. You don't leave it up there. Okay, you you move on to new stuff. No ulterior motive at all. But this is kind of that fake news thing that you see because in this case it's the Journal Sentinel that has this particular agenda and they're trying to create this impression. And so they wrote the story regarding of what the real facts were. Is the story accurate to the extent that, yes, the Public Service Commission removed this climate change report from its website? Yes, that is accurate. Is it true to the extent that the implication is they're trying to be climate change deniers? No, it's not true at all. It was just part of this regular thing. But again, this is the fake news stuff. So I understand the media gets upset. And as we'll talk about later on, I think maybe, you know, some of their when they are criticized for the fake news, some of the criticisms are perhaps legitimate. But if you don't want to be criticized for publishing or reporting fake news, my advice would be don't publish or report fake news. Get away from your agenda and report accurate and true information. Just saying. All right, we start off every program with three big things, just things that I think you need to know about to be able to talk about at the water cooler or the coffee closet or at lunch. I was off on Friday, so I have not had an opportunity to weigh in on the inaugural speech. But but number one, Donald Trump appears. He gives a 16-minute speech. It was roundly panned by members of, of the mainstream media. The, 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 the analysis that's come out afterwards was this was dark, it was foreboding, it was unlike other inaugural addresses. When Donald Trump used the phrase, America first, um, that's, that's a loaded phrase. He should apologize, because when you say America first, you are sending a message of anti-Semitism. Of course, America first goes back to that, that was the, the people who wanted to stay out of World War II. They were like America firsters. And so the idea is if you use that phrase America first, that means you are a Holocaust denier. It means that you wanted to allow Nazi Germany to do what it did with uh, the Jewish population. So America first now, at least in the mind of some people, anti-Semitic, isolationist, dark, overly aggressive, not hopeful at all. Let's open up the phone lines, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Big story number one, Donald Trump gives his inauguration speech last Friday. What did you think of it? Was it, as real, was it really as bad as many of the critics in the mainstream media said it was? 414-799-1620 is the number. We discuss next, 915, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 917, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. By the way, Scott Walker is touring the state today, um, announcing initiatives to reform welfare. He will join me at 1010 this morning to talk about some of those initiatives. Right now, big story number one, Donald Trump's speech panned, of course, by the mainstream media, the phrase dark, militant, anti-Semitic being thrown around. Anti-Semitic because you use the term America first. And some people say, well, that goes back to World War II. When somebody says America first, that's anti-Semitic. Hmm. Jim in New Berlin. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. 
Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I was actually I was actually there. I just got back uh, into Milwaukee yesterday. Um, I the, the speech was unbelievably well received um, at the time it was delivered, and in the follow up, you know, we went out to events uh, after the inauguration. Right. Where we were walking around town all day Saturday, people were were really pumped up about it. Uh, a, a lot of very strong support, which you don't see in the media at all. Well, see, that's um, one of the interesting things, too. A lot of times, if, if you see a speech in person, you get one reaction if you're in the crowd, and then you read the reviews of it as filtered through the, the, the prism of, like, some of the hosts or whatever. So this was well-received by the people that were there, huh? Yeah, I mean, you, you read the reports, and I was wondering if I was even there, but I was there, and it was unbelievably well-received. I mean... There's a reason he didn't mention Hillary in his inaugural address, because she'd have been booed. Schumer was booed just when he stepped up to the stage. People were unbelievably positive about about Trump, about the speech. And again, you know, I, I walked around town while all the people were preparing for the Women's March on Saturday, and I, and I was wearing my Trump stuff, and I was talking to people who were walking the streets, and everybody was was completely pumped up about the speech, about the positive nature of the speech, about, you know, it fulfilling his, his campaign, you know, consistent with his campaign rhetoric. It was, it was great, very well received, and very well received by everybody who was actually there who didn't have to have it filtered through the media. Jim, let me ask you, that you, you were there, were you in D.C. on Saturday when there were all the protest marches, and on Friday as well? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, how... how what was your reaction to that? I mean, you, you hear the stories, at least, about how the, just an incredible amount of people turned out on Saturday and also the violent protests that were going on on Friday. Um, was, was that is that being understated or were there a lot of people and were there was there destruction going on? There, there were two or three pockets and they were right behind our hotel. Um, there were two or three pockets of these anarchists who were who were just creating problems and they showed up outside the ball venues and they were just taunting people who were wearing tuxedos and gowns. Um, so there were that, that existed, but it wasn't that big a deal. It was getting all the attention on on Friday afternoon after you know when that was going on. But but in the rest of the city, everything was great. I right. mean, everything was great. And during the women's march, you know, there were a lot of people there. But there were people there for for gay rights, for global warming, for immigrants. It wasn't just all all women's rights stuff. And even the people who were there for the Women's Rights March, a lot of them were very positive, saying, you know, this is what we hope happens, and we're going we're gonna to expect that you're going to do these things, President Trump. Got so, it. It, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the huge negative that, that the media is trying to say it was. Thanks for the perspective, Jim. I appreciate it. Judy in Whitefish Bay. Judy, good morning. You're on 620 BTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Um, I thought it was absolutely terrible. I thought it was degrading for all of the past presidents who were there in attendance. Uh, it did not leave me with anything forward thinking, and I felt. Why sad. did you think? Why did you think it was degrading to past presidents? Because he didn't because single he them out. Talk, he didn't single them out, but he talked about how terrible the job that's been done. Over the past, I mean, this wasn't a place for that. It was a place to bring us to unity and a place to give us thoughts to ponder. And the American first, again, it just turned me off. And I know I was watching with a big group at the health club, and they all agreed. Do you, are are you surprised that he gave this speech? I am very surprised. I really... Just from the moment he walked out um, from wherever those doors were, he had such a, a horrible look on his face. There was no smile. There was no, like, wave, just his stupid thumbs up. Um, he, he now, just... now, Judy, let me ask you. Let, let's be honest. There's nothing that he could have said that you would have liked, though, right? Oh, no. No, that's not true. Oh, come on. I, now, be honest I, here. <laughs> no, it is not true. I really hope that he will make changes, and I really hope that he does a good job. But he's, he's just digging a hole every single day with sending his press secretary out the other day mm-hmm. and, and not calling those lies. I mean, it's... Okay, he, all right. No, okay, fair enough. I appreciate it. I mean, the reason I ask is because I, I don't think, and 
I, I don't think Donald Trump's going to get any sort of honeymoon at all. And that, that's been very clear. And, and some of the things are, are, are again, sort of self-imposed. This, this whole thing about were there more people at the protests over the weekend than there were at the inauguration? I, I mean, my advice to President-elect Trump would be, President Trump would be, who cares? I mean, you, you, you won. Who, who cares? Why pick this particular battle to get into? Why pick this particular fight when there's so many more? But at the same time, I think, in all honesty, I think we have a very polarizing president who's going to get absolutely no honeymoon. And that's why I was asking Judy, because I think I do think that there's a significant segment of the population that it wouldn't matter what he said. They were not going to like it because they don't like him, which isn't to say that it's not fair to criticize the America first stuff. I think that's a stretch. Oh, this is anti-Semitic. I think that's a stretch. I, I do think it was darker than previous um, inaugural speeches. Mo in Greenfield. Mo, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I have a comment regarding the caller before the last caller. He said he was there watching right. the reaction, and the reaction was great in D.C. And uh, now we're talking about there's a media bias saying that the speech was terrible. Well, my, my comment to that is that, well, of course, the people that were there in person listening to the speech reacted well. They're all Trump supporters. So, I mean, if people are going to listen to a guy, obviously all of those people are going to mm-hmm. be supportive of it. But the rest of the nation, more people in the United States voted against Donald Trump rather than for him. We're, we're all in agreement. Donald Trump has a history of saying very inflammatory things and then denying that they were anything controversial at all or that the media is biasing its facts. So well, what, what? So what? What was the? What was the controversial aspect of the speech that you saw? I mean, what? Why did? I assume you didn't like it. Why didn't you like it? Well, I, I mean, I, here's what I want to say about it. I don't want to dwell on anything in this speech in particular. I think what we have going on here is that you have a lot of people that don't like Donald Trump mm-hmm. because of the things he has said in the past. Right. And well. Well, no, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, I, that's, I guess that kind of, t- I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, I think, I, I think more so than, even more so than, than Bush Gore. When, when George Bush took over in 2001, um, there, there was no question that because you had the, the huge fight and the, the results of the election were, you know, before the Supreme Court, there, there's no question that, I mean, George Bush came into office and a lot of people were wondering, you know, how's he going to be? And we don't like him because we think Al Gore really won. Um, th- this, I, I think, even more polarizing than that is Donald Trump because of the nature of the campaign and the things he said. I guess I, I look at the speech, I, I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was a great inaugural address. I didn't think it was one of those things that's going to go down in history when you think about like some of the great inaugural speeches. To me, Ronald Reagan had a great inaugural speech. Um, John Kennedy had a great inaugural speech. Those were the two that, that really stick out to me in my lifetime. I don't think it's going to go down there. At the same time, I think some of the criticisms weren't really based on the fact that, that the nature of the speech it was based on, like you were saying, Mo, a lot of people just flat out don't like Donald Trump. They refuse to recognize the presidency as being legitimate. And it always starts off with, well, you know, more people didn't vote for him than voted for him. OK, well, folks got to get over that particular thing. But I do concede Donald Trump sometimes, well, he plays into that as well. I thought some of the criticism was unfair. I don't think it was as bad as a lot of people made it out to be. Is it going to go down as one of the great inaugural speeches? No. Big story number two coming up. Stick around. 927, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Uh, On Friday, lost in all the Packers hoopla, the Wisconsin Supreme Court, without apparently notifying many of the people involved, announced that it was going to be releasing a number of the documents in the Governor Walker John Doe case. Um, a number of the, again, some of the participants didn't know this was going to happen and it surprised them. Um, some of the documents apparently that are going to be released weren't even made public to the people who were the subject of the investigation. So uh, interesting decision by the Supreme Court to do that, especially to do it with no notice at all. This is, of course, the long-running John Doe probe into conservative groups that was should never have been undertaken in the first place. And so later on today and tomorrow and Wednesday, I'm sure you're going to be hearing more of those documents as the media looks through it and obviously cherry-picks the information it can find to try to portray Governor Walker and some of these conservative activists in the worst light possible. But that that's going to be coming out, and that's news you might have missed on Friday. 
935, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're right in the middle of our three big things. Big thing number two. In the last four days, three teenagers have died in Milwaukee County as the result of police chases. First one happened last Thursday. Um, This, what happened was 17-year-old boy driving a stolen van apparently was, was spotted around 43rd and Bradley, which is just north of like Triple I Country Club, if you can imagine this. Stolen van spotted around 43rd and Bradley. The Brown Deer police begin to chase. Stolen van. The 17-year-old takes off driving like a bat out of you-know-where to flee the police, blows a red light. This is about 5 in the morning, blows a red light on 43rd and Good Hope, slams into a semi. The 17-year-old is dead. The semi-driver, not injured significantly, but the semi-tips over. There's a fuel spill. So that, that intersection, 43rd and Good Hope, was closed for you know quite a while. Uh, but again, 17-year-old driving the stolen van, flees from the police. Fri- that was Thursday morning. Friday evening, what happens is the Milwaukee police get a report that there has been an armed robbery, um, an armed robbery in... Uh, in, in Milwaukee, in the area of like 29th and and Villard, so they're they're looking for an armed robber. There was also a, a a Volkswagen Passat that was stolen during the course of this armed robbery, 29th and Villard. So about an hour later, police spot the car near North Tetonia and West Cornell Street. They try to pull it over. The driver of the car refuses to stop. So now this is somebody. The car's been involved. It's stolen, and it's been stolen as a result of an armed robbery. As the officers pursue the vehicle uh, south on 31st Street, and again, this isn't—we're not talking about a chase that goes all over town. The driver runs a red light at Capitol Drive. The vehicle struck by a Chevy Cavalier and then strikes a light pole. The driver of the Chevy was taken to um, the hospital. So the driver of the Chevy Cavalier, not hurt. The two teenagers who were in the stolen car, um, they both die as a result of this. They find a gun in the car, so, I mean, this was the right car. But you have three teenagers who are killed as a result of fleeing from police in stolen cars. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Is this a justification for not chasing when I mentioned the story during the show on Thursday, before we had a lot of the details, I got an email from somebody saying, well, this is why it's just appalling. You know, authorities should never chase because bad things can happen. And in fact, bad things, you know, do happen. More often than not, it seems to me that it's innocent It's innocent victims. It's the people who are in the intersection when the 17-year-olds run the red light that hit them. And it, it's the innocent victim, the innocent people who you know are killed. In this particular case, you have three teenagers in two separate chases, driving stolen cars, trying to flee from police, and all three of them end up dead. Is this the justification that is this the justification for not chasing? Now, in Milwaukee, the policy is for the Milwaukee City Police they will not chase unless they have reason to believe that the people who are that they're chasing have committed certain types of crime, like crimes of violence. In this case, it's an armed robbery. So, yeah, they, they don't want to let armed robbers go. Some of the local, local police departments don't have that sort of limitation. They do it on a case-by-case basis, deciding, you know, can we chase? Are we going to put innocent civilians at risk? Are we going to put the cops at risk? But is this a justification for not chasing? 414-799-1620. Don in Union Grove. Don, good morning. How you doing, sir? I'm good. Is this a – okay – You know, we don't have the death penalty for stolen cars or armed robberies, and yet you have three teenagers who are now dead from fleeing from police. Should the cops chase? Uh, You know, like you said, if it's warranted because it was something involved in a murder or something, yeah, I I think they need to chase. But I'm hoping this is a wake-up call to a lot of the other youth out there that you don't need to be stealing cars. Right, and then and then running from police. <laughs> right, don't, right. Don't don't commit armed robberies. Don't carjack. Don't steal cars, and don't run from well, police because well, bad week things we happen. We were talking about the deal with the four kids, thirteen, thirteen, fourteen, yep. and fifteen, and that, and uh, 
they, you know, they got they got two of them arrested and they released two back to their family. Well, yep. it was what was that nine months ago where them juveniles stole that car and they hit that woman and killed her and a yep. kid? Right. No, it, it, and, it this is going on. No, thanks. See that that's see th- this is this is the issue that's there. I, by the way, I completely support police chases. With the with the exception, with the the asterisks there is that you have to make an assessment. You know, are, are you going to do a high speed chase down Wisconsin Avenue at one o'clock in the afternoon? Well, of course not, because you are putting innocent people at, at risk. But five in the morning on Forty Third and Good Hope, you know, if if somebody takes off, I think you have every right to try to follow them. You can't just let them go because chances are if you let them go, they're going to go out and they're going to continue stealing. In the particular case of the 17-year-olds who died on Friday night, they were involved in an armed robbery. And if you don't catch them, do you not think that they're going to be involved in another armed robbery and another armed robbery? So you, you have to at least make an effort. Now, like I say, if you're in a situation where you believe, oh, my goodness, we're putting the lives of the police officers, we're putting the lives of lots of other people in jeopardy, well, then you have to make that decision as to when to just kind of let them go and hope to catch them again. But if you just send out this message that anytime you want to run, we're going to let you go, I think that message that you're sending then says to everybody, hey, just take off. They're not going to follow you. Kathy in South Milwaukee. Kathy, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Kathy. Um, I totally agree with you. I think we have tied the police hands too often, and this is one instance where I think they need to go after them. Um, I'm tired of hearing about these cars being stolen all the time, and, and they know that the police aren't going to come after them, so then they just take off. Yeah. And right. I, I think they, we need to um, start going after them. Well, more. And, it, and it's a horrible story. I mean, it's horrible right. to hear that these young people are losing their lives. But that's not the police. I mean, it's, it's the kids, the young people who are stealing the cars or carjacking and then are running from the cops that are putting their lives at risk. And, and again, right. I just don't think you can let people drive off. If, if the message is, here, if the police see you, you just drive off, well, you're never going to catch any of these people. Right, and 15 years old, two 15-year-olds, um, it shouldn't be behind the wheel in the first place, and there's so many 14 and 13, yep. and, and each one keeps learning from their brothers and sisters and, and, and their friends that, you know, it's okay that they can steal, and now we've got 12-year-olds, you know, uh, where does it stop? I guess we, we have to uh, let the right. police do their job. No, that, let it, them do it, their it, job. Right. And, and again, make the assessment as to whether or not it, it's safe to chase. Obviously, there are going to be situations where you say, look, we, we can't engage in a high-speed chase because there's lots of traffic on the road, and, and we don't want to put innocent civilians in the line of fire. We don't want to, we won't want to put undue risks. But you, you make that call on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, and in the, the, the crash on Friday night, 15-year-old boy died at the scene of the crash, um, 17-year-old taken to the hospital um, where he died of injuries. I'm not sure which of the, I'm not sure off the top of my head which of the two was driving, 15 or 17-year-old, but they were both in the, the stolen van. The gun that they believed was used in the armed robbery was there. This was not a case of mistaken identity. Russell in Brookfield. Russell, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Say, I, I think um, they, they, on one end they got what they deserve, and um, the cops have to chase, and the uh, mm-hmm. bad guys have to know that they're going to be chased if they're seen by a cop, because otherwise they just drive away and right. laugh. Yeah, exactly. They're just and driving away and laugh, just like the, unfortunately, the teenagers who were returned to their home, they should be... Yep. I'm taken out back and whipped. Well, know, I don't know about whip, but but certainly held accountable. Right. I mean, right. And 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 again, if if people if the word goes out that you can just run away from police officers in stolen cars and nothing is going to happen, all that does is encourage people to steal more cars and to again drive recklessly. And in this particular case, I mean, do we really want? Do we really want a 15 and a 17 year old? Again, I don't know which one was behind the wheel, but it does seem pretty clear that both of them were involved in the armed robbery. Um, if we do, we really want do we really want to put those people back out onto the streets to let them get away in that stolen car, knowing that there's probably a good chance that you know they're going to be stealing other cars in the future? I, this is it is unfortunate. It, it is very unfortunate. Here you have three teenagers who are dead because they flew they ran from the police. But the truth of the matter is, the lesson that needs to be learned is, first of all, don't steal cars, don't commit crimes, and then don't run from the police because bad things will happen. I'm not blaming the cops for this at, at all. 
I mean, it's it's the bad guys that set this in motion. Now, what gives me pause sometimes is, like I say, a lot of times the story has kind of a different twist. It's the bad guys running hit the car of somebody innocent who's just driving, who's through the intersection, and all of a sudden gets hit in that by a high rate of speed, and it's the innocent person who ends up, you know, in the hospital or dead. In this case, it was the bad guys, the teenagers, who all got their comeuppance, and it's unfortunate, but it's at the same time, it's also tough to be too sympathetic to them. Um, 945, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Three Big Things continues when we come back. 949, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Governor Scott Walker coming up in less than 20 minutes to talk about his welfare reform initiatives. Hondo, who's producing the show today. Did you see Madonna? Madonna, a little bit of it, yes. Madonna was one of the featured speakers at the the Women's March on Washington. And, um, well, I I don't know. Maybe this is one of the reasons you have tape delays and and the dump button. But, of course, not if it's on CNN, C-SPAN, or MSNBC. She starts off her speech saying, Welcome to the revolution of love, to the rebellion, to our refusal as women to accept this new age of tyranny where not just women are in danger but all marginalized people. Where being uniquely different right now might be truly considered a crime. It took this horrific moment of darkness to wake us the blank up. Although she did not say blank. She used a word that we cannot use on the radio. She then repeated that word on several other occasions during her very classy speech. And uh, CNN chose not to bleep it, at least not the, the first time. Donald Trump, you know, responds to the, the protest march by putting out a tweet saying, well, why, why didn't these people vote? If all these people are so upset, why, why didn't they vote? Then, of course, the mainstream media jumps on that. How dare he say that all these women did not vote? But the bottom line is... You had a huge protest. There's, there's no question about it. Huge protest. Um, on Friday, there were lots of protests. Um, a lot of the people involved in the protests on Friday were what I'm going to describe as anarchists. There's a lot of violence. A lot of people were arrested. They, they came to the protests with hammers and crowbars. They were intent on doing damage. The, the Women's March was, of course, different. But all across the country, you did have people who stepped out to protest the election of Donald Trump. Now, Trump, I think, makes a mistake by trying to downplay the size of the crowd. And that's the big thing that was dominating the stories over the weekend. You know, Trump's spokesman comes out and says, no, 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 there there were actually more people at the inauguration than there were at the protests. And there, there's, I, I think that's probably not true. These were huge protests. But the bottom line, in my opinion, is, you know, who should care? And it's a distraction to argue about this one way or the other. I do think there is something interesting that comes out of, of these protests. And that's big story number three. And that's, again, I don't think we want to be distracted by the glittery stuff. Squirrel, squirrel. No, don't look at the squirrel. Look at the significant thing. A lot of people came out to protest the inauguration of Donald Trump. There were very, very divergent groups. This was not like a protest in the 60s where you had people, you know, hundreds of thousands of people who were coming together because they opposed the war in Vietnam. That that's not what this was. These were very very divergent groups. You just you just look at the signs. You know, you've got people who you know, are, are pushing an immigration agenda. You've got people who are, you know, talking about, you know, trade. You've got people who are pushing the, you know, the, the pro-abortion agenda. There were all these different factions, people with all these different issues that, that came together to, you know, speak as, as one, I guess. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. All right. All these protests over the weekend— was this a one-off? Was this a one-time sort of thing? People united by the fact that they just don't like Donald Trump, um, but comprised of essentially all these varying groups, everybody who's got these different agendas. Or is this really the start of a firm anti-Trump movement that is going to be around for months and years. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Do, do these protests that we saw over the weekend and these marches, are they going to have legs? Are they going to last, or are people going to go home and say, all right, I, I've made my statement, but now time to move on? 
or is this going to be the new norm? 414-799-1620. We discuss in two minutes. That's big story number three, 953. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 956, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. See, I think in many cases people are asking the, the wrong question about the protests, the Women's March on Washington and in Chicago and in Madison, you know, all, all over the country. The, the question isn't, did a lot of people show up? Because a lot of people did show up. And, you know, Donald Trump makes a huge mistake when he says, well, it's, it's fake news out there. The media says that there were more people at these marches than there were in my inauguration. That's not true. That That's, again, that, that's being distracted by the shiny things. That That's not the, the, the question, the concern. The issue to me is, moving forward, was this just this final last gasp, hissy fit, people are surprised that Donald Trump got elected, or was this... Is this the start of a movement that is going to provide legitimate, op, uh, you know, opposition, you know, the the loyal opposition or the not so loyal opposition, you know, moving forward? And four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I will tell you, I don't think that this is. I don't think that this is going to have have legs. I mean, I, I think that this. My tendency is to think that this is going to be a one-off. Now, look, I also appreciate that there's going to be different advocacy groups that are going to be upset when he does different stuff. If he builds the wall, you, you know, the anti-immigration, the you know, the, the pro-open you know, borders types are going to be upset with that. But overall, I will be surprised if you continue to see things of this size. Todd in Greenfield. Todd, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Well, I think that Honestly, with the media, the way they're keeping this at the forefront consistently mm-hmm. is not going to help this thing go away or, you know, mm-hmm. unfuel itself, so to say. But yeah, but, you know, I'll give you, I mean, the example was we said the same thing about, we said the same thing about Act 10. You know, we, we said the same thing about Act 10, you know, all the protests and that, I mean, eventually most of those folks, you know, went away. There's still a handful of kind of dead enders that still protest at the Capitol. But, you know, the, the large numbers of people, you know, went home and everybody went about their business. Well, the sooner we get this off the news and start, you know, yeah. healing as a country, I think that this will go away. Yeah, which is why I mean, th- th- which is why I think if again, if I were to give advice to President Trump, not that he would listen to me, I'm not sure he listens to anybody. It would be, okay, you you don't you just fuel into, you know, you you won the election, you just play into all this stuff and make it a second and a third day story when you start arguing about whether the number of people who came out for your inauguration were greater or less than the number of protesters. At the end of the day, you know, who cares? John writes, besides generating lots of content on Facebook, my main question is, now what? What's the plan? Are these women going to go back to their communities and run for office? Are they going to start volunteering at women's shelters? Or, my cynical self says, most likely outcome will be that the alumni of the march will gather at a coffee shop somewhere, pat each other on the back, and tell them how awesome it was, then go off to their kids' soccer games and piano lessons as if nothing happened. Well, that is the $64,000 question. Will this continue? Will this have the legs? Is this going to be like 1968 where people are protesting the Vietnam War? Or was this just kind of a one-time sort of thing? I'm leaning towards the one-time sort of thing, but we live—it's tough to make predictions. 